What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. I know that that person has had liposuction with a fat transfer to their butt. And they're like, these are the way I do my squats. And like, oh my God, like, it's so obvious to me that you have had your butt done. It's Violet Benson, your favorite meme queen and the big sis you didn't ask for, but need. Welcome to Almost Adulting. Almost Adulting. Hi, besties, and welcome to a brand new episode of Almost Adulting with me, your host, your therapist, and your birthday girl, Viola Benson. Yeah, that's right. Today, November 15, is my birthday. That is actually why you've got you got this episode um, early evening instead of in the morning, because I just wanted to sleep in. And if you're like, wait, I thought you had a whole team and editors. That is correct, but for Thursday episodes, for Tuesday episodes, I edit them and do everything myself to save money. (laughs) I would make a Jewish joke, but I'm trying to stay away from all the hate that we get, the mean comments that they make about us. So no, um, what are those called? No stereotype jokes today. Um, Today, we have a beautiful episode from Vault Archives. Perfect for the current climate, not only do I have the amazing, talented Sheila Nazarian on where we get to discuss just all the celebrities, all the current plastic surgery trends, everything that you look online and people are like, oh no, this is, I, I swear, like I worked out for this body. She's going to dissect that and let you know how much they're lying. And your favorite bot, but <laughs> your favorite butt Instagram model is lying to you. You will not be able to get her bum by doing the workout that she asked you to subscribe to. Most likely, it's from a doctor like Dr. Sheila Nazarian. So that's that. And then we dive into the history about her family because she is Sephardic Jewish and I am Eastern European Jewish, a.k.a. Ashkenazi Jewish. So we get to talk about her background, a little bit about my background, and just the current recent anti-Semitism that constantly goes in and out our whole lives because for some reason Jews happen to be the constant scapegoats to people who love to hate on anyone. And when you sit around hating on anything and anyone, these people will always find something to be upset about. These people always find something to hate. And even if they wiped out whatever race tomorrow that these people decide to hate, they will find a new race to hate. So We did want to bring some awareness to that. So half the episode is about plastic surgery. The other half is about anti-Semitism. And I really hope you guys will listen to that. It means the world to me. Aside from that, yeah, if you wanted to go ahead and wish me a happy birthday. (laughs) Thank you so much. I am a Scorpio with a Libra moon. Nope, I do not have a Libra moon. I'm so stupid. (laughs) I am a Scorpio sun with an Aquarius moon, which I've been told... That your moon becomes you 
as you get older, because your moon is your feelings behind closed doors. As you get older, you stop trying to hide them. Then my rising is a Libra. And I've been told that as you get older, your rising doesn't matter anymore as much because your rising is the mask you put on in front of people. It's who you pretend to be. So when you get older, you stop trying to pretend to be someone else. You're kind of more honest with who you are. Then my Venus is Libra. And my Mars, which is how I fuck and how I work, is Aries. Yeah, that's why I'm so passionate. And then there's something called Midhaven or something. You guys should look this up. That basically tells you how you are in public life, how you are in your work, and how you present yourself to the public when it comes to your career and all that. And I'm a Leo, which I think makes a lot of sense. And now I understand where it comes from when people always ask me if I'm a Leo. I'm just a wannabe Leo born in November. <laughs> so if you want to wish me happy birthday, go ahead. You can do that. And I am just so very thankful for having another year that I get to be alive, having another year that I get to wake up mostly healthy, have people that love me from my besties, you guys, to my family that is still, still around that tells me how much they love me. They make me feel loved. You guys make me feel loved and I get to make myself feel loved. And I think that's important. I have pancakes, who's my cat and my best friend. I'm so thankful for her, even though I'm so allergic to her. She's the best thing to happen to me. And if you guys didn't know, the reason I got pancakes was it was just that little final push that I needed to fully heal and get over my ex. And that's when I got myself a cat around six years ago. And I love her to death. And I'm so thankful for everything in my life. I'm so humbled by the life that God gave me. And I am also very thankful for all the lows and the challenges that have come my way because not only has it helped me grow as a person, but all the lows make you appreciate the highs. And yeah, I'm just forever grateful. I have no words to describe it. And I can't wait to see what this year holds. Tonight, I'm actually doing a small little dinner with friends. It's probably like the smallest little thing I've ever done for my birthday, but I really didn't want to celebrate this year. As you know, if you listen to my solo episode, I decide that I will. So I'm just doing like a birthday dinner with like five, six friends, close friends and no one else. And then I just want to forget about my birthday, but I am glad I get to spend it with people I love and I'll see my family this weekend too. So if there's someone you love in your life, go ahead, give them a little hug, give them a little kiss. Because you never know if that will be the last time you'll ever see them. It is such a crazy concept that we all have someone, every single person in your life, you will have a last time that you'll ever see them. Pretty wild. Aside from that, I'm doing a fun Q&A on Thursday. It's going to be live on my other podcast, Hey Bestie. So if you have any Q&A, as in questions about relationships, dating, life, love, work, anything like that, and I haven't had a chance to get to you in the DMs, which is very hard for me to get to everyone, just put in your calendar that this Thursday I'll be doing your Q&A, answering your questions live on Hey Besties on Spotify Live. So you have to download the Spotify Live app in order to log in into my show to be able to give me your live question. If you're too shy, you can DM it to me and then you can just listen on Spotify. I'm going to do it on Thursday, this Thursday, this week in in like two days at 7 p.m. Pacific time, 10 p.m. Eastern time on Hey Besties Q&A. So ask away. Anyway, I really hope you guys will enjoy this episode and I love you so much. The best gift you could have ever given me for my birthday 
is giving me the opportunity to have a voice, to help you heal, to make you smile. And I, I, I can't keep going because I'll just start crying because I'm so thankful. I love you. Have a beautiful day. Are you ready? Today, I have a returning guest. She's been on here before and we talked about, is my vagina normal? <laughs> Dr. I'm traumatized. Don't remind me. <laughs> Dr. Sheila Nazarian. Nazarian. Perfect. You can call me whatever you want, Violet. Sheila. Well, Dr. Nazarian, she is right now one of the most popular, sat out surgeons, plastic surgeons out there right now. What are your thoughts on the current beauty standards? I mean... I mean, I think they're, it's very interesting because I think all over the world, beauty standards are very different, right? Mm -hmm. I just think my whole thing is to sort of look at your proportions, your natural God-given proportions and stay true to those and, you know, try to just make yourself optimize for you, but not try to make yourself look like a whole different body or a whole different person. Because the truth is trends change. Like, look at what we were just talking about in the nineties. It was like small, butt, big boobs. Like now it's big boobs, small butts. Like I literally, yeah. Like I literally have patients in my practice that 20 years ago got lipo of their butt and now they're coming in to put fat in their butt. And I'm like, dude, you shouldn't be like going under the knife every like five to 10 years as the trends change. Our bodies aren't clothing. Like you can't just like donate it and go buy more. Yeah. So I just try to like not pay too much attention to trends and just make people look optimized for their own proportions and their own body type. That's good. Do you feel like this, the beauty standards these days are almost unrealistic to the point that because of Photoshop and the filters, even the girls who get all this work done, they still Photoshop and they still filter. So even they don't believe their own like beauty and that's why they constantly need more. So that's like a hundred percent rampant. And what pisses me off the most, and I'd love to hear your thoughts about this are especially like the fitness accounts where I know that that person has had liposuction with a fat transfer to their butt. And they're like, these are the way I do my squats. And like, I'm like, Oh my God, like it's so obvious to me that you have had your butt done, but you know, your millions of followers are just like slaving away, feeling like crap because they, they don't are look doing like 2000 squats a day and their butt's never going to look like that because that's not real. Okay. That was actually going to be my question. If you can just look at a lot of these people on social media and know right away what kind of work they have done. Yeah. And they <laughs> all have work done. By the way. I knew it. Yeah. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. And also, like, not just that, like, celebrities, too. There was an article that came out, I think it was in New York Times, I think it was, like, five years ago or something, where it actually looked at how much these A-list celebrities spend on plastic surgery. Thanks. Um, On plastic surgery um, every month. Guess how much, like, the the A-A-list people spend on, like, beauty, facials, injectables, surgery. Every month? Every month. 5,000? 30,000. Every month? Every month. So it's like, but that's their job, right? Their job is to look flawless and beautiful. So whether they're getting like hot springs or whether they're getting surgery or whether they're getting injectables or tightening procedures or um, collagen inducing procedures. So the other thing is like, even before there was this whole social media thing, we would look at celebrities and be like, oh my God, her hair is so flawless, uh, you know, great. And yeah. her skin is so flawless. But how do we, like, it's not our job to look good. Like, we actually have job jobs. So yeah. we're not, we don't have the time or the money to go spend that much money optimizing ourselves every single day. But the problem is that before, when you look at celebrities, you knew it was unattainable because celebrities were so far away. And now with social media, 
uh, Instagram influencers or celebrities on social media in general, it feels more unattainable. Like, oh, I, I can actually look like that because they, they seem like regular people now. Right. So would you say then it made our beauty standards a little bit worse? I think it brings it closer to home and, and plastic surgery doesn't seem so unattainable anymore. I feel like everybody can sort of get financing or you know, get their butt done or get a tummy tuck these days. So it's not plastic surgery and like those procedures are not something that's so far away and only for the A-listers or only for celebrities or the super rich. I feel like everyone can get that done now. And then seeing these girls with their bodies posing and just like workout clothes or like on the sidewalk with their, you know, their legs sticking out, they look like girl next door. And so I think, you know, that beauty standard isn't so, isn't so far away. Like you said, it's yeah. just like, she looks like me or I, I could have been on Melrose on that sidewalk. But I think as long as people are honest though, about getting work done or at They're least not. some stuff, at least people can be honest about like a little bit, like even mm-hmm. a little bit, I think yeah. will make them feel better because, because yeah, like if I'm looking at the fitness models and they all have their butts done and getting lipo certain places, I'm just like, okay, then apparently if I do a hundred squats today, I'm not going to have a big ass tomorrow. Right. I was lied to. Like, it would be good to know, but obviously it's their job, so they're not going to tell you. But I'll tell you guys right now, I mean, every model you've ever liked, most models have gone lipo, like, in, in their thighs, between their legs. Um, yeah. They have... Lower back, like the, you know, love handles. Yeah, it's actually very common. Like, every single, like every single Victoria's Secret model you've ever liked has had lipo all over her body. It's very normal. I'm not going to say yay or obviously, nay, but... It's the truth. Yeah. I, I know for a fact because I, I have a lot of my friends are models and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So um, I'm like a lot of my friends also got my uh, the vaginas done with uh, Dr. Nazarian, which is so funny. <laughs> <laughs> like, I feel like one day I definitely want to get mine done, even though she says mine is perfect. I wouldn't mind still. I don't know for my own self-esteem. You're it's so weird. funny. Yeah, I just um, I didn't know I would go to like plastic surgery residency and become an OBGYN. But... <laughs> Um, so what does beauty look like in the eye of a plastic surgeon? I mean, I think like it's very different, right? So one of the reasons why I've been super, you know, different and sort of successful, even in Beverly Hills, which is like, there's 31 plastic surgeons in my building. So even I've, and it's, it's a prestigious building. And I think I'm probably like one of the only women and the youngest person there. But I think that the reason why I've sort of gotten to that point is I decided very early on that I'm not everyone's doctor. I'm only the doctor for people who want natural results, who nobody's going to know you had anything done. And not only am I going to do that to other people, but I'm going to do that to myself. So I will never be overfilled, even though I have five syringes of filler in my face and I like haven't moved my forehead in 12 years. Um, <laughs> like I, I just, I just knew like, I don't want to be everyone's doctor I want to be the doctor of the people that have like you know are normal (laughs) no but it's really cool like you literally do it on yourself too which I think makes it more of a relief because I feel like a lot of doctors they they put these syringes in people's faces but then they don't touch themselves so like you literally sometimes before an appointment or you've talked about before where you just like oh I just put like uh, and you videotape it sometimes on Instagram too where you put fillers in your own face by yourself in front of the mirror Well, the reason why I started doing that is because like you know I'm Persian and a Persian Jew and like the Persian Jewish community is first generation. Like I escaped from Iran when I was six years old to come to this country on the back of a pickup truck through the desert. So the Persian community is, is, is very much first generation, very conservative. And I remember when I first started practice, they'd be like, Oh my God, I heard one, one woman got Botox and then she ended up in the ICU and her whole body was paralyzed and you laugh, but I'm not joking. So I actually started injecting myself on Instagram just to show the Persians who were following me that you're not going to die. 
and it's you're not and like there's stuff going around like it's snake poison like no botox is actually from honey that's why you can't give babies honey yeah. because they get botulism so it's not snake poison it's literally in honey um so there's all these like rumors and like craziness that like some grandma told all the persians or something <laughs> i don't know but i i literally just started injecting my own face so people see that i'm not dead yeah and also you don't have to look fake um and it's actually safe because if it wasn't, yeah. why would I shoot myself up with it? Which is really cool because, to be honest, I still, because I'm more new to this stuff, I still have a hard time understanding even, like, what is one syringe or all those different terms. So then mm-hmm. when you say, like, oh, I have five syringes in my face, it's hard for me to understand. But when I think five, it just sounds like, it sounds like it would be a lot. But then I look at your face and you're so naturally five, looking. Five like Five syringes is five ml, which is actually a teaspoon. Okay, so you see, that's interesting to know. I had no so idea. So a teaspoon smeared all over my face is not going to make you look unnatural unless I just shoved it all in your cheeks or something like that, you know? Right. No, you look super... I mean, I yeah. wouldn't even guess you had anything in your and face. And that's the other thing, too, is people are so scared of looking unnatural because when you're walking down the street, especially in LA, you only notice the people that look crazy. You don't notice the people that look normal and you think, oh, how lucky they are that they just look that way. But really, it's just good upkeep yeah. and maintenance. I think it's really important to have a surgeon that you can trust like this because I do know other girls in LA or have friends where they go to some of these popular famous surgeons and they allow them to continuously put all these fillers in their face. And although on social media it may look good, a lot of these girls, when you see them in real life, it's actually a little alarming or scary because yeah. their lip doesn't look right. You can see the filler in their lip or there's too much cheek filler, whatever it is. Like it looks really crazy and scary and weird in real life. And I think that's why it's important to have somebody that can be like, hey, thank you so much. Like I would love to take more of your money, but like let's also slow down your face is looking like I've a cat lady. I've actually had like super famous influencers come into my office with like massive lips that somebody else did. And they came to me for like the tear trough filler that mm-hmm. I just posted about. And And I will actually say, I can't touch you until we dissolve what's in your lip. Because if I do that and you post that on your social media and I do some other area, they're going to think I did your lips too. And that's actually going to backfire on what I'm known for. So, and actually I've said that to one and she was working with um, L'Oreal and actually after that rumor got out that I actually told this influencer, like I can't inject here because this looks so crazy. Yeah. Like all of like the people from L'Oreal started coming <laughs> because they're like, oh my God, that's amazing. No, I, I love when it's, um, yeah, when it's more honest. So then what are your thoughts on people since now with social media, everything seems so much easier to go get down. Like, oh, everyone, it's normalized. So then what are your thoughts on people so, who then can't afford the expensive stuff, but they mm-hmm. want to look like a Kylie Jenner. So then they go and they try to get it like a deal. Like, oh, I saw on Google, like it's 50% off right now. If I go get it there or like maybe I go to a different country. Yeah. So I just, it's funny. My um, social media uh, person who helps me, she's 22 years old and she's, she's been with me now for like a year. And she's like, Dr. Nazarian, if I've learned anything working with you is that you don't want to cheap out on your body and your health. Um, and it's so true. And I'll tell you, you get what you pay for. And you'll end up actually spending more money getting stuff fixed. I mean, you might get lucky, but it's kind of like playing Russian roulette with your health and your face and your body. So I just feel like, okay, you want to get a discount on clothes. Yeah. Discount on food. Sure. Discount on plastic surgery. I feel like no, no. Like you save up for that. Like I, if someone was like, if someone told me I can spend either $3,000 on getting a small procedure done or fillers or whatever, or I can get it for 500, I would probably go, I would save up for 3000. 
this reminds me of a good example of one time when I cheaped out on my transmission on my car. Mm-hmm. I could have paid either $1,000 for my transmission or from this like Armenian mechanic that did it to me for 500 yeah. And I was like, oh, I'm Russian. He speaks Russian. Like, you know, yeah. he gets me. I fixed my transmission in the car for 500 I saved $500. In the, um, luckily that one day I was always driving on the freeway and for whatever reason I had this weird voice in my head and it was like, take, get off the freeway, take, take, uh, take, um, Laurel Canyon, take a hill. And I've never taken Laurel Canyon before. And for whatever reason I got off the, the freeway in that moment for the first time ever. And I started driving up a hill to Lauren Canyon. My transmission broke down and started going backwards. Oh my God. So I started going backwards in the hill and I had to like try to park into somebody's home really quick while the ass of my car was still out because it, it was going backwards because my transmission was broken. Oh my God, so scary. Had I stayed on the freeway, I would 100% died, um, which is one of the reasons I believe in God and there's no, a higher power. No, you know power. what's so crazy? Like shit like that happens to me all the freaking time. I'll give you like a couple examples. One time there was a tree kind of. Um, on my way to my house, like literally like a thousand feet away from my house. And I was driving up to, and I just had a premonition. The tree was going to fall. I literally slowed down and the tree went boom. And I braked and my son was with me. We both like held hands. That's one, two, one time I was going over Benedict Canyon and there was so much traffic. You knew like a car accident yeah. happened because it's like one way this way, one way that way. And I just, in my head, I saw a totaled red Porsche. And then 20 minutes later on the tow truck was a total cherry red Porsche. That's crazy. One last one, which is totally like <laughs> crazy. And I know you'll appreciate this. When I met my husband, it's kind of crazy because literally we met. I met his parents a week later. He met my dad a week after that. We were engaged in three months. And when I first moved into like his condo, you know how like you have a pin code for everything and it's always the same thing? Yes. Like maybe it's like 25, 42. Maybe. His parking spot was 42, 25. Like in the building, it was a four-digit code. That was uh-huh. the, that was the flip exact like instead of it being like twenty-two forty-five, uh-huh. it was forty-five twenty-two. Like he was my yin to my yang. Like shit, like that happens to me all. Wait, the what time. does that mean? It was forty. Like like the parking spot number could have been anything. Yeah, it was basically my pin code. Oh, it was your pin yeah, code? Which okay, is I like that. The the thing that. Oh, and I that's how you were like he's the, the one. Well, I knew he was the one, but like it's almost like these things in life that. Sort yeah. of say like you're going, you're doing the right thing. You're going the yeah. right way. Yes, yes, yes. But no, I agree with you. Like I've had one time I, I've never met uh, my grandfather. I, I never had a grandfather. So like one of them was still alive and then I never met him. But like I had a weird dream that he died. And then I woke up that when I was a child and I woke up that morning and I suddenly I saw my parents being sad and I was like, mom, what's wrong? And she goes, I just, my, my father just passed away. And I was oh like, God. whoa, got the chills. isn't that so crazy it's when you just so like crazy. dream about it or you have a premonition, then it actually happens. Yeah. Like when my mom passed away too, my son, when he was two years old, um, he was, he was in the back of my car. He just like started talking and he told me he dreamt that my mom came and was congratulating my cousin for getting married. And my cousin just got engaged. Okay. It was like, the and my son was two years old and he'd never met my mom, obviously, because she passed away when I was 16. But he basically like, and my mom was very close with this cousin because his mom had passed away when he was young. So my mom was like his surrogate mom. Just like crazy stuff that I'm just like, there's got to be something greater than this. Yeah. No, I think so too. Or they, sometimes they say that sometimes we have weird memories as kids. Like I have some weird memories as a child that never happened to me and I can't figure out where it's from. And I was like, did I imagine it? Mm-hmm. But sometimes they say it's from like a different past lifetime, mm-hmm, that, mm-hmm. Like a different life that you suddenly somehow remember. Crazy. I know. Anyway, moving back to <laughs> plastic surgery. Violet and I share very similar, I think, like spiritual yeah. slash God 
which we'll get into, by the way, because we'll, we're both Jewish and we're both uh, immigrants. So mm-hmm. I feel like we do. And we both believe in God, which I think is really beautiful. I know not everyone does. And that's OK, too. But I think it's nice to believe in something. Yeah. So what is the one procedure people come to you the most? I would say it's a tie between labiaplasty, buccal fat pad removal and small breast augmentation. Okay, but at one point you were known for the vagina doctor because a lot of my friends went to you, so it's pretty crazy. I did. um, I do a lot of vaginas. You do a lot of it. And one thing about vaginas, I fuck it. We'll just get into is that the girls are awake and it's like in and out and then the yeah. healing process just a couple of weeks to just not to have sex but well, i actually won't let you have sex for four weeks and no tampon i basically say nothing goes in and nothing goes out and i tell them pretend your vagina is mine for a month on loan and then i'll give it back to you so take good care of it <laughs> yeah you just said one of my friends and she told me she didn't have sex for four weeks mm-hmm. but like the pain wasn't there wasn't like pain or anything yeah it's actually not bad i always tell people you've probably skinned your knee worse than this because the incisions are like super small and you don't yeah. feel anything during the whole thing, even though you're awake. I'm like the queen of no pain. Okay, so um, if somebody has fat removed through lipo, does it reappear again? Okay, so this question drives me bonkers. Okay, so okay, this is how I want you to think about your fat cells. Think, you know those storage units that you purchase or you rent out to store your furniture? Mm-hmm. Okay, imagine a fat cell is one of those storage units and you are born with a certain number of storage units on your body. You don't gain any more and you don't lose any. They just expand and they shrink as you put more furniture in them. Okay. So eat a lot of cake. You're going to expand your storage units, (laughs) diet and exercise. You're going to shrink your storage units, but you have the same available storage units. So let's say for women, for example, we're born with more storage units in our thighs than men. Men are born with more storage units in their stomach. So let's say a guy comes in and I lipo his stomach. I've removed those rent storage units permanently. So if he goes and gains 50 pounds, he's going to stuff that furniture into the different and the, store, other, and the other storage units that remain. Right. So it's not like fat has legs and it's going to walk around and go to a different place on your body. No, we're born with a certain number of storage units in our body. Some areas might have more storage units than others. When I permanently remove those storage units through lipo, if you continue to gain weight and not lead like a healthy lifestyle, it'll be in the other storage units. Yeah, you're in just your body. it's gonna go to your arm in the storage units in your yeah. arms, or it's gonna go in the storage units in your ink, whatever. So that's why they say that's why like if you ever Google about lipo, they say like make sure, make sure this is not for weight loss, this is just for an area you can't get rid of. And then make sure you have a healthy diet after you get lipo because it's not like a fat preventative or whatever. No, it's not. If you you're just gonna you know, so a lot of these people, I'll give you an example. Some of these people who shall go unnamed, who have moved all of their fat into their butt, sometimes their butt looks crazy, huge, and sometimes it looks really nice and normal. It's because they moved all the storage units to their butt. And so if they gain 20 pounds, their butt's going to look insane. And if they lose 30 pounds, it's going to look nice and cute and round and shapely. Got it. So basically, if you get life on your stomach... Doesn't you may not get fat there again, but you'll probably the fat will, the fat is suddenly going to start coming to your arms or your legs or your well, ass. Well, the fat was already there. Those storage units you were born with them there, but, but they're going to expand those gonna if start... you don't eat healthy and start gaining a bunch of weight. Got it. Okay. So speaking of butts, how do girls get their butts done? So there's three different ways. I actually went on the reel for this, and I like had like props and stuff. But you can do butt implants, which I think are gross, and I can always tell them from a mile away. Literally, it's like really sad. I I don't like them at all. So I don't do them because I just don't think that looks good. 
The other way is to actually do lipo and then take those live fat cells and inject them into your butt, which is a surgery I do all the time. Sometimes it's referred to as Brazilian butt lift or fat transfer to the butt. But it's kind of nice because you're getting a twofer. So it's like you're sucking it out of the areas you don't want it. And you can put it in your breasts, which is actually safe. And I do that a lot too. Or you can put it in your butt. Those are the two most common places. And actually in men, I can stick it in their pec muscle, you know, make them look like they have a bigger pec or make them look like they have bigger biceps um, or even calf muscles. Um, So that's fat transfer, which I think is fantastic. And then the other way, which is a lot more expensive than surgery, believe it or not, is to actually take off the shelf products that build your own collagen and fat and inject it into your butt or your breasts. So usually that's done more in the butt, but it's expensive because I have to purchase the product from a third party, which charges us a crap ton of money. And it's not just your own fat that I'm using. Oh, so the, it's injections, it's but an it's, injectable. It's, it's it's not your your own fat. It's something well, it, what else. happens is when it's injected, it builds your own collagen and fat. So it's oh. actually long lasting. So it's really good for, for example, let's say um, it's someone who exercises a lot. They have no fat and they also have no butt. Oh. So I can't, they don't have fat to donate from one area to their butt. They literally Got are it. like six pack but flat booty. Oh, so I have a friend that's really skinny and then she got her, I, I, you know which friend I'm talking yeah. about, right? And she got her butt done the first time and it was fat transfer. She actually gained some weight in order to be able to put it in her butt. And now she redid it, but she did it with butt implants, I think. Yeah. Because obviously her fat is burning out. So this is the other thing that I want to put out there. You can't get, you can gain weight for a fat transfer. So let's say you put on 10 pounds. Now you all of a sudden have all this fat that I can liposuction and put in your butt. I always tell people fat's stupid. It doesn't know if it's in your stomach or in your butt. So then if you're like, oh crap, I feel like I'm, I'm heavy and you go lose the weight, those storage units you just moved to your butt are going to shrink. Yeah. So there's no point in gaining weight for a fat transfer. Because then she Unless continues. Unless you're going to stay at, at that gained weight. Because you're right. Because then she continues to eat the way she does or she doesn't eat or whatever she does. Then again, she's yeah. going to end up losing the, the fat yeah. that she had in her butt. Right. And if she wants to, you know then she'd have to gain the weight back in order to so, grow her booty. So she's the type of candidate that would be perfect then for your third option? Right. And to not do the injectables. Because she tried butt implants and like, it was really scary. Like we had to take her to the ER and it was like, it kept, it's, it kept ripping her butt, her butthole was like literally ripping apart. It was like, butthole, but we I don't do, know what it is. The incisions made near, like it's, it's near the, the crease of the butt and it is and a higher blood than average out. infection rate. And again, like I said, I'm not starving. I'm not hungry. I'm very well fed. I don't need to be doing every single surgery and I like to sleep well at night. So I'm not going to offer a surgery that I don't think a looks good or natural and B has a high risk compared to all my, all the other things that I do. Yeah. And like me and my friends are close friends. We have, we were taking care of her. So we would need to like clean that area down there. And it was like the first time I was like near vagina so many times. Cause I was like cleaning her, the blood mm-hmm. that was seeping from a butthole. And she, it was, it was actually scary. I was like, I was really you scared guys for go her. Get you some friends that will take care of your <laughs> butt implants. <laughs> yeah. I'm such a good friend. I'm thinking, I'm like, I have no good friends. <laughs> I'm so fascinated with the stuff that I was like, yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> I just want to see what it looks like. It was really interesting. Um, what would you say a good candidate is for a vagina, we can, uh, vagina plasty, plasty. So labiaplasty. I would say, um, usually, you know, it's either with pain or no pain. Some people say when they're riding a bike, it hurts or, um, when they have tight jeans on, it's not comfortable. A lot of other people are just like, I don't like the stuff that hangs out. And I just want things to be like Marie Kondo, like tidied up down there. (laughs) Tuck. Um, 
And I just do like a very simple aesthetic procedure awake under local anesthesia. And a lot of times I have to like talk girls down too. Cause I feel like whether they've had it done by somebody else and they don't like the way that it looks or some boyfriend at some point said something, I'm never going to do something that's like, you know, so crazy that like, I'm going to risk your sensation or now a penis can't fit. Or like I've taken away the functional aspect of that area. You, I always tell people you're not paper mache or cardboard that I can cut it up and like, make it look like, you know, whatever I have to respect blood supply and I have to make sure a penis fits and I have (laughs) to make sure that you have sensation and that you have a very long, glorious vagina life that you can enjoy. Right. Yeah. Cause I feel like you've had people that come to you and they want like a lot removed from their, uh, lips and you're just like no I can't no because it's like going to the supermarket hungry like you end up buying more food yeah you know same with breast reduction people are like make them an a and I'm like then you're gonna look like a pear because you actually have hips so it's up to me to be like I hear you but I'm actually gonna give you what you like need not no you've been great because even I when I showed you my 22 pictures of my vagina and I was like wanting to get it done and then you're just like you don't need it and I thought that was really nice of you to say that I mean I still maybe in the future will consider getting done I don't know but uh, I mean I've definitely done you know like a few playboy models and stuff who you know that's or or like I've done a couple um pornography industry people and it's so funny because they're actually coming to me because they want natural results and they don't want anybody while they're filming to know that they've had anything done which is kind of cool um and for them it is like it's their job and it's their career and it has to be you know better than perfect but for the normal person you know coming in whether it's violet or a soccer mom or something like that like i will be the guide and be like okay you're not actually like paying your bills by how this area looks and it's good at, you know, it's like 90% there. Yeah. That 10% might, you know, matter for somebody who's showing off their vagina all the time. Right. But not for like the average. No, my person. friend that just got it done with you, she's engaged. So it's like, it was literally, she got it done for her. Like mm-hmm. for me, it doesn't bother me, my vagina, how it looks when I stand. Cause mm-hmm. it's not really there. It bothers me. The thought of like, when I open my legs open, just the thought of it just opening up. So like, what is that's normal though? <laughs> I know. Apparently it's normal. What does a normal vagina look, look like? That's so funny. So, I mean, I think it varies. It's like saying, what does a normal breast look like? Like or mine. what is a normal? I'm kidding. <laughs> That's a perfect. Or like, what breast. does a normal nose look like? You know, that's why right. I think like everybody's different. And for me, it's just to make it look within the realm of yeah. normal, within normal limits, we call it. Yeah. Um, and not listen to you and be like, okay, cut here. And I'm like, no, actually, your nerves are there. Like, yeah. how would the person know that? They wouldn't. So they're coming to me as an expert to guide them through the whole thing. Right. So for me, I think it's more of a self esteem issue that I should work on. So I'll figure that out. Um, anyway, okay. Um, what's one trendy procedure you believe is actually a big waste of money and time? (sighs) Big trendy procedure. That's a waste of money. Oh, oh my God. Bella. No, the freaking thing they're doing right now. Oh yeah. That's important. Lift the eyebrow and make you look like a Star Trek character. Okay, so oh for the if if you're not seeing the video from this, is she's basically talking about how a lot of models lift their eyebrows, but then also do their eyes slanted. Yeah, that I'm I'm gonna have no part to do with that because I again I think that's a trend, but I'm actually like there's another trend that people are putting threads. So like an, a regular female eyebrow should go up and then like you know kind of like straight out. They're mm-hmm. actually making it like a line like this. Like, you know how you would I've draw been like seeing a ma- that. Like, let's say I told you draw a circle face and make it angry. Like you would draw the eyebrows like this. 
um, facing up, right? Left. Yeah, like that's yeah. how they're making their eyebrows look. And then the places that are doing it are actually posting that on Instagram, like picture after picture after picture. I have friends. If, like, I'm so proud of this result. I have friends <laughs> that got threads, threading threads in their eyebrows who also went, I mean, in their um, in their face, like on the sides, which mm-hmm. is like, it's like a, a tiny little facelift or something. And they're like early 20s and they also went to other countries to get it done. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of the barbed threads. I, I don't mind the smooth threads that just build collagen, but I what just does think- that mean to get a thread there? So barbed threads are imagine a suture that we would use in surgery, and they've laser cut it to have little barbs. So what they do is they do this, they put it in, and then they like pull your skin up over it and it sort of holds it up in that location. So there's actually something a like thread a thread underneath yeah, the skin, like a thread. Okay. Inside yeah. the skin and it just pulls up. And then how long does that last that, for? So they say it lasts a year. It doesn't last a year. It like is like maximum three to six months. And then the patients come back angry about how it didn't last a whole year asking for more threads. So someone obvi- who obviously has this down, a good example is going to be Bella Hadid. Well, I don't know like what she's yes. had done or what these people do, but I'll tell you it's, higher risk. There's much better technology out there. And that's another problem I feel like with social media and beauty procedures is everybody's going to tout the thing that every, like the practitioners themselves can afford. So not ever, like I have 25 lasers, probably have over $3 million in lasers in my practice. Not every practitioner is going to be able to afford every single freaking laser or technology that comes out. So what they can afford is microneedling pens. They can afford threading. They can afford Botox and they can afford filler. So every single mother, practitioner and their mother, whether they're a nurse or an esthetician or, a, you know, a, a family doctor that all of a sudden now is doing Botox or a dentist, they're all going to say, everyone needs microneedling. Everyone needs threads. Everyone needs, you know, Botox and filler because they can get their hands on it very easily. The cost oh. for them to acquire it is really low. So that's why I always say, like, you should go to, if you're really serious about this, you should go to a doctor that does it all. You have surgery on the table, you have super expensive lasers on the table, you have the threads, you have the you know, fillers, it. and you have the Botox. And they're not offering it just because it's the only thing they, they currently can get the their hands on. And that's too, exactly. Like a lot of doctors only have one laser. So guess what you're getting when you go there? No matter if you're white, dark-skinned, you're all getting the same thing because all they have is a hammer, so to, you know, everyone's a nail. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. Okay, so that's what that's one that you think is trendy and is a waste of money. So that's good to know. So you're seeing all these, but I feel like I, I am starting to feel like that trend was super popular with making your eyes super slanted, which I guess in some ways a little racist, <laughs> but whatever. And I feel like I've been noticing that trend slowly has been going away. I do still see the eyebrow lift and the angry eyebrow lift mm-hmm. and still the threading, but I feel like it's becoming less and less popular where, cause I'm noticing people are Photoshopping their eyes less slanted than they used to. Oh, interesting. I still get people like calling in for that and I'm like, sorry, we don't. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. 
That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So how do you not get too hard on yourself if you're constantly fixing everyone else's faces or making them like the beauty standard of right now? Like how do you go home and like look in the mirror and feel still beautiful? Because my jewelry is my education. Like my beauty to me is my education and how hard I've worked and what I've accomplished in my life. I feel like a lot of times, which is sad to say, a lot of people, all the things that they've gotten in their life is because of the way they looked. I was completely opposite. I was super like anorexic looking skinny. I was hairy. I was brown and dark skinned in a school full of lighter skinned people. So I I was never popular. I didn't even date till medical school. So it was like, I was just a nerd. And my self-confidence came from grades, what I was studying, and the schools I got into and getting awards. So I never associated my self-worth with with beauty and how I looked. Got it. That makes so much sense. And that's really good, though. I feel like, yeah. It's really, I think it's much healthier. And I try to instill that in my kids, too. Exactly. So then when you, if you ever do get any work done, it's more like just for yourself. or You just think it's time. Even like for me, when I finally decide to even, she, um, so basically Dr. Nazarian, if you didn't listen to one of my old episodes, is that she put like Botox over my lip and then a little bit of filler on the top of my lip in order to help with my gummy smile. So it's like, for me, it just bothered me when I smiled, but it, it wouldn't take away whether or not I was pr- beautiful or not. No, and also a lot of the times, like, if you if you take away someone's insecurity of smiling... Yeah. Like, I've had people tell me, I don't even want to smile because it shows my entire teeth and all my gums. And you give them that gift of allowing them to smile without a thought. Yeah. Like, that's a beautiful thing. Well, I've always... If you guys listen to one of my other episodes, I was born with a uh, birth defect. I literally talked about my whole life. I struggled with... Um, being born with really bad teeth, like having no enamel. So I, I've had veneers since I was five. So I think subconsciously my mouth is probably that one area that I need to perfect it. So then when I finally got perfect teeth and then I still, when I smile, it's a little gummy. I'm just like, are you kidding me? <laughs> so I think like for me it was necessary, but yeah, like I, I agree with you. I think that's a good way to look at it as well as you love yourself. So when you get work done is because you're like, oh, I just need to fix this versus yeah. being like, I will be happy if I don't. Yeah, like I will not be happy and no one's going to love me Mm -hmm. unless I fix my gummy smile. Like that was not my thought process. It was more like, oh, I I just, I just want to have a nicer smile for me. Yeah. So I think that's a good way to look at it. And then, um, okay, so speaking of being brown, (laughs) I don't know if that's like the good segment. (laughs) Speaking of being uh, (laughs) not white. um, So one thing that we can relate is that 
we're both Jewish, we're both immigrants, you're Persian, I'm Israeli, I'm, I'm Russian-Israeli, so obviously a little different, but I always love hearing stories because I feel like people don't understand how immigrant stories are always so different from anyone that was even born in the States, even first generation. Mm-hmm. So like, I feel like people sometimes don't realize about how crazy immigrant stories are. And like, so you come, you're from originally from Iran. Mm-hmm. And like, basically, what did you, what did you guys need to do in order to even get to the U.S.? So this is the craziest thing. Like, I'm going to jump it like forward and then I'll jump back and tell you the whole story. But like a couple years ago, I was asked to donate to some event that was happening at UCLA. Some, you know, guy was going to come speak and um, one of the Jewish organizations had, you know, arranged for him to come speak. So I go, I go to this thing. I had no idea who this guy was. I just donated. It was like, you know, they give you food and some wine. And I was like, okay, cool. Let's go. (laughs) So I take my husband with me. We're sitting there and this guy had written a book that of this information had just become declassified. And he actually, I don't know if you guys know, but Roosevelt actually turned away, um, ships full of Jews during world war two and said, basically you can't come to the United States. And when they went back, they were all killed. So this guy that was speaking, he was older and he had actually been, he'd heard of this and he said, you know what, if there's ever a time in my life where I could save people, I'm going to take that chance. So he actually worked in the Carter administration and Carter, this was during the whole hostage situation. So Carter basically gave an executive order to get all Persians out of the U.S. and not allow any Persians to come in. So this guy who was speaking basically was like, okay, I know that if we send these Persians back, they're all going to get killed because they either worked for, you know, they were kids of the Shah, people who worked for the Shah, or they were Jews, or they were Baha'i. Yeah, and so one reason, the reason, because this is, uh, the reason if you send the Persians back to Iran, they would get killed is because uh, back then, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong yeah. since I'm not fully educated about this, was because if any, if any Persians were Christian or Jewish and they didn't convert to the Muslim religion, mm-hmm. they would get killed for that. It was actually like, that's that's one thing, but this was during the whole um, like coup around you know 1979 where the Shah was overthrown and Khomeini came and took over. A lot of people who worked for the Shah were killed, whether they were Muslim or not. Like if they were in the Shah's army or if they were a general in the army, they would get killed. Okay. So... So basically this guy who worked for Carter was like, I know these people, if they get sent back, they were all like sons of people who worked for the Shah or they were mm-hmm. Baha'i or whatever. So it was like high risk to their lives. So he basically told them to file asylum applications and then hid the asylum applications in a closet so that nobody would review the asylum applications. Because once you apply for something, unless a declaration has been made on the, on the application, they can't deport you. Right. So he basically hid the applications and he didn't just do that. He worked with a company, um, a nonprofit called Hayas, who actually helped get more Persian Jews and you know people that were persecuting Iran into the U.S. So there's an executive order to get rid of all the Persians in the U.S. And this guy actually not only kept people from being deported, but actually got more people out of Iran into wow. the U.S. And, yeah. and that's how my family got out through the work of Hayas. So I'm literally sitting in this conference like, Staring at this guy who was responsible for saving my family, (laughs) never knowing that that actually happened. So basically what happened is, you know, my dad um, worked at the Shah's Heart Hospital. He was actually the head of the Shah's Heart Hospital. And he had saved the eyesight of one of the techs that worked in his lab. My dad's a pathologist. He looks under microscopes. And the tech, um, he had diagnosed him with some parasite and saved his eyesight. And the tech actually worked for Khomeini. Like, he was one of the, like, undercover people. What does Khomeini mean? Khomeini is the person who took power after the Shah. Basically did the coup. So he comes to my dad and he basically says, you saved my life, basically, because you saved my eyesight. I'm going to save your life. You're on the list. They're going to kill you. Get out. 
So two days later, my dad leaves Iran, goes to Vienna, um, but leaves my mom, my sister, and my passport with the government saying, I'm going to a medical conference, but you know, my family's here and they can't leave because you have their passport. So they let him, my dad go. After a couple months, I would say like six to eight weeks, um, we hired smugglers to put us in the back of a truck. They put, we went to the bazaar, like where you would buy food, like outdoor, you know, mar- supermarket. And they put us in the back of a truck, threw corn on top of us and smuggled us across the border of Pakistan, Iran and Pakistan. And I remember that right when we got across the border, we had like a pit stop to go to go pee. It was like a it was like hot. It was like a clay hot with a hole in the ground. How old were you? I was six and a half. My sister was 13. Wow. And it was basically my mom doing this with her two daughters Yikes. and some smugglers. And so it was like this hole in the ground. My, I was too small to like straddle the, the hole to pee. So my mom was like holding me above this big fat hole in the ground. If she dropped me, I'd like fall into a pile of poo and pee. And she told me we're going to America. She didn't tell me that before because, you know, I was young and I'd probably tell someone and that would yeah. have been good. So she tells me that there. And I was like, the first thing I thought, we used to, we used to get like boot like Michael Jackson videos. And I was like, I'm going to meet Michael Jackson. <laughs> I was so like, the funny. one. that's what I said when she told me. So Did we you? I'm kidding. <laughs> Actually, when I first went to a Michael Jackson concert, I was like, oh my God, this is so crazy. <laughs> but anyway, so um, we spent a night in the desert um, and then we went to Pakistan. We stayed there from, um, I think it was like three months waiting for visas. And then we finally reunited with my dad in Vienna and then we flew to New York and then we came to LA where we settled down. Which is so common actually with a lot of my Persian friends uh, who um, all have asylum. What is it called? Yeah, asylum. Oh, okay. I have an asylum. A lot of them, like I have two of my best friends, they, uh, so they like, they lived in uh, Italy for three years before they got to America because you weren't allowed to go from Iran straight to the US. So you had to stop, do a pit stop for a couple of months to a year, whatever. A lot of people did um, Turkey. My husband's family did Turkey. Some people did Israel. Okay. Um, A lot um, lot of the people who were um, Muslim and worked for the Shah did Germany. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it's really interesting. So that's why a lot of them, their stories are they lived in like two other countries before they finally got to be in the U.S. Like I can't imagine going to this conference and watching this person speak and you're like, oh my God, you saved my life. Yeah, you saved my my entire family. Did you tell him? Yeah, we went up to him afterwards and we told him and we took pictures with him and. That's amazing. Yeah. That's why it's like a lot of these families, including my own family, like you have gone through so much racism yeah. growing up and yeah. then you're like okay i'm gonna oh you're gonna cry no i'm not gonna cry it's just like it's so true but and then you're like uh, your parents they bring you to the u.s and you're like okay this is where the racism ends and you finally can, can be, live safe and then you come to the u.s and suddenly even with recently when you start to understand again like oh shit racism is not over just because i'm in america and mm-hmm. and um that's one thing that i want to talk about because i've noticed that you know, with everything that's been happening with Black Lives Matter, and I feel like there's been some amazing movements and a lot of things have been um, have been changing. And I feel like recently what I've started to notice, and I feel like you were kind of part of it too, which again, I don't want to take away from any other movements because of course, like Black Lives Matter, no lives are going to matter until Black Lives Matter and completely agree with that. But unfortunately, it seems that whenever these movements happen, there's a weird scapegoat when it comes against Jewish people. And it seems that people care so much about anti-racism, anti-hate, but not about anti-Semitism because it doesn't count maybe because they think we're white, even though look at you and I right now, my dad's brown, you're brown, I'm white looking, my mom's white looking. So there's black Jews, there's Mexican Jews, there's, there's Jewish people all over the world and we're still only 2%. 
it's not even two, it's 0.2%. I'm sorry, we're 0.2% of the world population is Jewish. So what are your thoughts right now when you, because my, my mom was like, when, when I started to notice a lot of anti-Semitism recently, my mom was just like really sad because she was like, wow, I literally, we had to, we had to run, we had to escape Russia during communism because they were literally threats that they were wanted to kill um, my family and they wanted to kill um, her daughters who were so young. And my mom was like, why would anyone want to kill my children just because they're Jewish? They're so, they're babies. Like they didn't, they haven't done anything. And it's like, and then we moved to Russia and in Russia, there was always weird things between the Israelis and Russia. And um, we moved to Israel, I mean. Mm-hmm. And in Israel, sometimes as much as they accepted us, sometimes there was like a whole jokes between Russians and Israelis. Mm-hmm. Like they looked down at Russians or whatever back then. I mean, things have changed since. And then, and so then finally, like, okay, we're going to give our daughters a better future. We're going to move to America because mm-hmm. we won the green card lottery. Move to the U.S. And it's, I mean, I have, of course, I've come across like racism with being Jewish. It's not a first, but recently it felt, I almost felt overwhelmed with everything that was happening. And my mom was so sad because she was just like, wow. Like, like we risked I, everything to come here. Yeah. And it's following us here too. And now it's happening here. I would say the Persian Jewish community is very frustrated as well because we literally, like when we were escaping through the desert, we were shot at. I've been spit on as a child for being Jewish. Um, and was, I felt like we left that country and my parents left the country. They didn't even speak good English. Came here, started a whole new life, left their comfortable life. And now it's like rearing its ugly head. What I just don't understand is that how could you say don't be racist, but then be anti-Semitic? Like you don't get to choose your bigotry. You're either not a bigot or you are a bigot. So that's that's the part that frustrates me the most. How could you claim that you know you have been oppressed and you have been this and, and you have been, but then go ahead and, and oppress other people? Yeah, I agree. I mean, you can't you can't solve racism with more racism. Right. That's what doesn't make sense. And I think the problem is that a lot of people view being Jewish as either a religion or they're not educated enough or sometimes they like get over the Holocaust already, blah, blah. It's like, first of all, we do our best to not bring up the Holocaust because we know it annoys people. Holocaust was also only 60, 70 years ago. Yeah, exactly. Which people don't understand. And also it's- a lot of people's families were wiped out. So how could you say don't bring up the Holocaust where people literally, you guys are still so traumatized. Like my, my entire family, ha- even in Iran, we had to hide the fact that we were Jewish because it was like, it was so bad for Jews. And now like we're in America, right? And it was Hanukkah and I wanted to put a menorah on our gate. My husband's like, don't do that. Like they're going to do something to us. Yeah. Her husband is so traumatized from that. And just like my father, I wanted to have, when I lived in an apartment in West Hollywood, I wanted to put a mezuzah outside my door. Mm -hmm. My father is so scared because of my father, who's brown looking and Jewish. He had a very tough upbringing in Russia during communism, way more tough than my mother, who looks like me, who's blonde, white, with blue eyes. And he's so traumatized. He was like, do not put a mezuzah. Like, you don't want... And I was like, dad, like, this is a gay community. Like, what do you think? They're going to, like, beat me up or something? They're so nice here. And he's like, no, they hate the Jews. Do not put any... So traumatized. When I became... When I started daddy issues, I had to legally change my last name that was Jewish out of my dad's request because he's so traumatized that he thought people would come after me for being a Jew. Yeah. And that's just like, that's what people don't get. It, and it's just it, like it follows super you. super simple things like wearing a Star of David or wearing a kippah and you can get beat up on the street for that. And it's happening. Like, look at all the shootings in synagogues and stuff. And, you know, I, I just don't understand how 0.2% of the population is, is getting so much hate. And I guess it's easier to just scapegoat 0.2%. The other thing too, and then I was thinking about this, is we've sort of been traumatized and silent on social media about being Jewish. 
And so we don't like defend ourselves because we're just like, if I hide, nobody's going to hurt me. They'll leave us alone. They'll leave us alone. But I think like the, it's kind of backfired in the sense that we didn't stand up for ourselves. And now recently, if people have started to stand up for I themselves. Did, I for sure me did. Too. Like every Friday, I do a Shabbat Shalom post. Oh. And I want people to know that I'm Jewish because what I realized on social media is a lot of people have never met a Jew. I actually had somebody send me a, an uh, article that said that Jews put human meat in their hamburgers. Like people, Wait, that's not how you eat your burger? <laughs> what? Like literally, I was like, I literally responded. And I was like, please tell me you don't actually believe that. But people do believe that because we've been so scared to be vocal about our Judaism on social media that they're going to believe what is out there. People have told me, I actually come across that. Somebody said in a holiday, I forget which holiday we celebrate, Passover or whatever it was that we sacrifice a human and I was like oh my god yeah that's why I'm inviting you to my house (laughs) (laughs) but like I used to do when I was younger whenever I met people who just were unaware ignorant in a way I would always invite them to stay in my house whenever they're in town my parents would be so annoyed because they're like why you bring a stranger to my house every time to educate them it's not your job and I was like why not they can see it's very normal I've even had a girl from Spain and Spain is one of the most anti-semitic countries Mm -hmm. and she just didn't know any better I was like what are your thoughts on uh, Jews and she was just like well one time this guy from Dubai like practically tried to rape me and after that I was like ew I fucking hate Jews and I was like well first of all you need to learn more about the Middle East because I don't think you understand what somebody from Dubai is versus from a different country. Like right. she doesn't just, even know the Middle East period. No, but I think, I think that a little bit of the blame falls on us for being scared, leaving a vacuum on social media to be filled by ignorance and hateful speech yeah. and all of that stuff. I think we ha- it's our responsibility as people who do have a large voice and a large influence on social media to be more vocal about our Judaism and show people like I'm Jewish and I'm helping people. I'm Jewish and I'm doing good. But I think the problem is that people also don't understand the difference between p- people get confused about is being Jewish a religion because then you're just white so then why it's like it's a whole this me being uh hating on christians or is being jewish a race like so personally to me being jewish to me is a race and when i and i'm also ashkenazi jew which is different jewish than she is which is a Sephardic jew. jew but there's also ethiopian jews yeah. who are completely black yeah and it's been interesting to actually hear their voices a little bit about the anti-semitism I mean, yeah, I mean, I can't even imagine when you're a black Jew, not only do you already go through so much pain and hardship for being uh, black, then it's like, oh, you're also Jewish? Okay, double whammy. <laughs> like it's, you know, I, I can't even imagine. So I feel like, I feel, so again, I feel like for me, being Jewish is a race. And normally I never used to say anything, but then when I started to see anti-Semitism happening, when we're already so trying to be so um, outspoken about anti-hate and anti-racism, that's when it was the first time I actually spoke up. And some people were like, wait, you're Jewish? Yeah. And I'm like, they're like half. And I'm like, no, no. I'm like full, full, full on Jew. Yeah. Like I took a, recently took a DNA test, uh, 23andMe, mm-hmm. which is just your spit. And it came back and it just shows you how much being Jewish is actually in your blood. It came back. And usually the, uh, the test would be different for me and for her mm-hmm. because of the type of Jewish we are. Mm-hmm. But for me, it came back as 99.6% Jewish as Jew. Mm-hmm. And then 0.4% other. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, get, I didn't get white. I didn't get Russian. I didn't get American. I didn't get Israeli. None of that. It didn't count because of how much the, uh, Jewish is in my blood, which also means Ashkenazi Jews. It means that 
my ancestors were probably cousins and they were fucking. And <laughs> that's how I'm able to have so much Jewish in my blood. Mm-hmm. But it just shows you the difference between how some people can view it. Because so that's why to me it's a race because it's literally my blood. And I'm also a Kohen. Mm-hmm. And they say that if you're a Kohen, that's another specific thing in your blood. Mm-hmm. So that's another way you can test my blood to see if I'm, a, I'm like an extra Jew, which is a Kohen. Yeah. And Ashkenazi Jews, because we, I think our ancestors were fucking each other, we also have more... That's how you, you know it's a race and it's not a religion because there's actual diseases that only Ashkenazi Jews carry mm-hmm. that if I marry another Ashkenazi Jew, we both have to get tested for that specific, those specific diseases in order for our kids to not have those. Right. So how can you say it's crazy, a religion? Well, I think people can also convert to Judaism, yeah. in which case it is a religion. So I kind of think it's both. But what's really interesting is there was... Um, this was like 10, 12 years ago. I'll never forget it. It was on NPR. Every day I would drive in when I was in residency to USC. It was like a 20-minute drive. I'd listen to NPR. And there was two KKK members awesome. that actually got married, had children, and their child had Tay-Sachs, which is an Ashkenazi Jewish disease. And they found out that their ancestors were from Germany, Jewish, came here, like many people that were victims of the Holocaust, denied their Judaism because it was dangerous to be Jewish and they didn't want to die. And they actually raised their kids without ever telling them that they were Jewish because, and this is very, very common, by the way. So these two kids, you know, grow up, join the KKK, get married, have a kid with Tay-Sachs, do the genetic testing, find out they're both Ashkenazi Jews, and then they totally turn their lives around and dedicated the rest of their lives to helping other people in the KKK get out. Oh, get out. Okay. That's so funny. So they ended up finding out they actually hated themselves this whole time. (laughs) Isn't that, isn't this crazy? It was so ironic. I'll never forget it. I was like, it was one of those ones that you like sit in your car, even though you arrived, you've arrived at your destination because you just want to hear the rest of it. I mean, my stories of racism against being Jewish are completely different than my parents' stories. I mean, well, first of all, I don't know if I've talked about this before, but like, for example, my father not only was he constantly teased about it in th- by the teachers, because basically in Russia back then, they hated Jews and blacks the most. And don't even get me started being gay. Like there was no, yeah. you're not gay if you're in, you're, in Ru- you're Russian. Like it doesn't exist. Yeah. So they Same just hate- Iran. Actually, the, yeah. they made a statement like that. Exactly. It just doesn't exist. So, so, but like in the books in Russia back then, it used to be where um, there was, uh, there were slurs for black people and for Jews and they didn't take them out. So it just stays there. So then one time there was my, my father used to have a different uh, name, which he legally changed because it was too Jewish. So I won't say the name to respect him, but like it was a very Jewish name. And for whatever reason, the book, the name was there. And then it said like the scum Jew or like a kike, but like a worse word for right, a Jew. Right, right. And then they're like, okay, um, why don't you read it to my dad? And my dad was like, I'm not going to read it. But that's what teachers would do. Or like the fact that if you were, and they, they use the N word for black people in the mm-hmm. books too. Mm-hmm. And they would have the black people then read it. And it got to the point that also if you were a Jew in Russia, um, you had to pay extra money to order to get into college. And when you graduate, you also have to pay extra if you're a Jew. And when my dad was doing applications to go to university, first of all, most of them wouldn't accept him because he was Jewish. But other people, they, the interviews were really forward. They were just like, okay, but like, you're a Jew. Like, why would we accept you? Like, I don't get it. And luckily, my dad still overcame all that. And not to mention, his father not only was an alcoholic and um, was, uh, you know, cheating on his mother the whole time and spent all their money on alcohol his dad still served in the army before that and even though he served for his country mm-hmm. the way they treated a jew was so terrible that not only did he lose his business because of that he had to go to jail before he had to go to jail for being a jew that owned the business because you weren't allowed to own a business as a jewish person and then in jail on his last day 
when, when, when my dad's father was supposed to be released, my dad was like 17, 18, his dad got beat up to death by the guards for being a Jew. And they, they turned him into a vegetable and then he died. So, and that was like my father's upbringing. And, and by the way, my dad's dad was white with blue eyes, with blonde hair. So it just shows you sometimes it doesn't matter. So, and my father was so used to this. I mean, I mean, that's why he's so traumatized. My father is insane. My father's, my mom's stories is more like she dated a guy for a long time. And then one day he found out she was Jewish and he came up to her and he was like, okay, Allah, you're not a kike, right? And she was like, excuse me? And he goes, I mean, I would never date a kike. Like, tell him, be honest with me. You're like, there's, you, you, why wouldn't you tell me that you're a fucking kike? Like, be honest. Mm-hmm. And she was like, I didn't realize that me being Jewish would upset you so much. And he goes, well, I would never date one. And I was like, that's the kind of things that my mom had to get used to. But my mom also passed as mm-hmm. Russian lady. Mm-hmm. But like, So my dad's stories are endless of like the, the, um, the fear. And that's why until this day, my dad always swore to never go back to Russia. Because that's, it, I can't even explain how terrible the treatment for him was. My mom's obviously more lenient, but... Mm-hmm. I forgot even the point of this was that I was getting into these stories, but I'm just trying to show an example of really what it is for some people to go through being Jewish, regardless of, yeah, I'm white skinned in the U.S. And maybe my stories of some guys not wanting to date me because I'm a Jew or sometimes people hate on me on social media and they call me a kike. Mm-hmm. It's not even comparable to my family stories, but I wish people would have the same care and treatment and love that they do with other cultures. Mm-hmm for us as well yeah i don't even honestly know like how it started i literally you know as a culture like we just said we just want to be left alone (laughs) and like we're generally very quiet about our judaism we don't try to like get people to be jewish we don't try to like push it into people's faces so i just you know don't understand where all the hate kind of originated from i think it's because they say the jewish people own the media or they control everything and guys if that was true wouldn't i be more famous and richer right now like Come on. Why do I have to keep working really hard? I just think like for Jews also, like what I was talking about before a little bit is that education is like so paramount. It's like there's there's this joke that like, you know, there's these two moms sitting in the audience and one of their kids is being sworn in as the president of the United States and the other mom will, you know, be like, yeah, but my son's a doctor. (laughs) I mean, like, you know, so I just think education is so paramount and it's like the one thing that you're expected to do that you're going to achieve when it's that, you know, ingrained in your head from childhood, yeah. you're going to achieve. So I think that's why people sometimes think that they have more. We're like, who cares about them? Because we tend to be pretty educated or we just have it's to. It's just like, you know, it's like family values and education are like the two things that are driven in your head because no one can take that away from you. Because they have taken everything else. Like in Iran, we had, you know, my you know, dad was a physician. He worked very hard. He came from nothing. Literally, his mom had to sell their forks and knives in order for him to be able to afford bus fare to get to school. So he literally came from nothing, built himself a life in Iran. And then one day, these soldiers knocked on our door and said, your house is ours. Move. You have 24 hours to get out. So I feel like when so much is able to be taken away from you, family and education are two things that no one can ever take away from you, kind of. And I think that's sort of why... Yeah. It's so ingrained in our culture. And I don't know how much of this fully is going to stay mm-hmm. in the pockets, but this is one thing I want to clarify for people. The only reason you've learned about the Holocaust is because it's part of the World War II and mm-hmm. because America wants to look like a savior. America didn't actually save us at first because we had ships coming to America with a lot of Jews in there. And America 
the U.S. turned down all the shifts with the Jews coming and those those Jewish people died on the shifts or died when they went back. So the U.S. finally in the end intervened because they had no choice. And that's the only reason in your history books do you learn about the Holocaust. You don't actually know the full on stories. You you guys don't even are not even educated about the fact that Hitler not only killed my family during the Holocaust, Hitler also attacked St. Petersburg. And he killed my family who lived in St. Petersburg before the Holocaust. My grandma survived. My grandma survived when he attacked St. Petersburg only to then go through the Holocaust. <laughs> like, it's so crazy. Oh, my God. <laughs> I have to actually, like, educate myself more on the Holocaust, too, because as a Sephardic Jew, I mean, we were in Iran. It didn't make it to that area. I mean, I'll tell you, like, I can't even almost read about the Holocaust and I can't watch movies about the Holocaust because it's that disturbing to me. Yeah. So I actually am probably not as educated as you are. Right. Cause that's another thing people don't realize the uh, different type of Jewish stuff, but people also don't realize it wasn't, we didn't only go through the Holocaust and then Hitler also coming to St. Petersburg. We also had 400, like what was it? Was it 40 years in Egypt <laughs> as slaves? We, the J- Jewish people it's, it's, but you know, again, it's not just Jewish people. If I, we, we need to educate ourselves on the Armenian genocide, mm-hmm. apartheid in Africa that was happening in the nineties. There's it's, it's, it's hard though. Cause we literally are not able to educate ourselves on every single thing that happens all over the world. I get that, but it's important to just be a little more open-minded and sensitive to other people's trauma. And it's not about, um, it's not, this isn't, um, an oppression Olympic, mm-hmm. Olympic. No, oppre- it's Oli- not. That's the other thing that drives me nuts. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just be understanding and be open. And, and I do like that. So I think, A, people sometimes did, did not care as much about the Jewish stuff because we didn't speak up. And also because they weren't sure, like, oh, well, they're white. So, but now you maybe you can see that, A, not all of us are white. And B, our families have still gone through stuff because also when you, during the Holocaust with Hitler, the reason we were prosecuted is because we weren't considered white. Being Jewish to them was a Jew and it's in your blood and it's a waste and you need to die. If we were considered white, we would have just then fit in with the Germans. We, we didn't. Yeah. Like my mom, I have two grandparents that were blonde hair, blue eyes. That's crazy. They were cousins. Oh, of course. (laughs) (laughs) I just want to thank Violet for using her platform to talk about Judaism. I'm trying to use my platform also to just, you know, say that I'm Jewish. I'm not like pushing it down people's throats, but I just want to be an example of a Jew doing good in the world so that people, even if I'm the only Jew they've ever met, they see that it's actually like a good example and a role model. I mean, like even last night, I randomly felt like praying and I just prayed to God. And my God is everyone's God, by the way. It's not like to Jewish God. It's just mm-hmm. everyone's God. And I just prayed to God and I, I thanked him for everything that's happening in my life, including all the hardships I went through. Because I was just like, I have a feeling that you had me go through a lot of tough things this year because I'm meant for something greater. And I want I see it now. Like, I'm so thankful. So I think it's important in general, regardless of what you believe in, to just think there's something else out there to say a good prayer, to be nice to people, mm-hmm. not be, don't be racist. If you are racist, that's okay. Just educate yourself. You know, you don't have to be ignorant. It's, there's, there's no reason for you to carry so much hate in your heart for one culture, for one specific person. It's so heavy. And you, you, if you just release that heaviness, you will feel so much lighter and g- better things will come into your life. Trust me. Couldn't have said it better than that. <laughs> okay. Anyway, uh, where can people find you? Wow, I'm like everywhere. Um, on main, the street. <laughs> <laughs> mainly um, on, on Instagram, Dr. Sheila Nazarian. And um, on my link tree, you know, the, the bio 
the link in bio, you could see all the other places you could find me. So you guys can Google Dr. Sheila Nazarian, but then also your website is... Is NazarianPlasticSurgery.com. Um, yeah, so thank you so much for coming thank on today. Thank you for having me and having these tough conversations.